Today's reading comes from Ephesians 4, verses 26 through 27, and then 29 to 32. So starting in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Also want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube live right now. Thank you for joining us. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We just read these verses, verses 26 to 27, 29 to 32. This is our reset teaching series from burnout to balance. Title of this weekend's message is Don't Go to Bed Angry. Uh, the whole series is based on Matthew eleven twenty eight. Our Savior says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. No need to live a life filled with anxiety and anger and depression inordinately. You don't need to do that. He invites us to a rest, a peace, a contentment that can't be found any place else on this planet. It's his invitation to us. Now, by the way, this is not a technique to be mastered. This is a person to encounter, to engage, to enjoy. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So he invites us to this place of rest. We all need it. We get wrung out by life. And so thus far in the series, we've covered the first weekend, we talked about slow the pace, becoming aware of what drives you to overload your life and to be in a hurry. You know what does that, don't you? We talked about it. It's we are working for our identity rather than from our identity. So we got to go back to what, where our identity is. It's in Christ. Second week, we talked about keep your tank full and we learned that we are called to be worshipers first, workers second. Worshipers, lovers, will always outwork and outlast workers. We talked about that. And now we come to don't go to bed angry. This one's really, really important. The first two are important, but this one is kind of one of those that we don't often really deal with. It gets us into trouble. It'll lead to burnout, no doubt. Take a look at your sermon notes here, part of the intro. Let me walk you kind of through this. The past can't really affect us, but our present feelings about the past can. It's called, what's the word there? Baggage. baggage. We all have a lot of baggage. People have hurt us. We have hurt people. We have suffered wrong. We have done wrong, done things that are wrong. All those things happened in the past can't be changed. That stuff in the past can't be changed. But unless those experiences are exposed to the light of God's grace, truth, and forgiveness, they will hinder our relationship with God and others right now, right here in the present. 
And what it does, it will lead you to burnout. In fact, as it says in Hebrews 12.1, it refers to these things as, as every weight and sin that clings so closely to us. It's saying we need to lay those things aside so that we can run the race set before us with perseverance. You're not going to be able to run the race that God has for you if you don't set these things aside. What are the things that we're talking about here? We're talking about the sins that we have committed and then the sins that have been committed against us, both sin and suffering. Our world is packed full of this. We live in a very broken world filled with sin and suffering. So we've got to deal with this stuff. Otherwise, it will drive us to burnout and and bitterness and and beyond. And, And so that's why in the... Lord's Prayer, how many are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, show of hands? Maybe you memorized it. And so it gives us kind of a checklist of items that we need to deal with as we come before God. And one of those items that we should be doing regularly, if not daily, is forgive me of my sins as I forgive those that have sinned against me. That's like taking out the trash, dealing with the sin and suffering in our lives, not letting it pile up in our lives. By the way, that's found Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, this is what you need to know. Unresolved sin and suffering can accumulate and snowball on us in the form of PTSD, anxiety attacks, fears, phobias, despair, depression, bitterness, hostility, rage, all of that. So think about that. You start taking hits early on and you don't process that stuff, you, that will accumulate over time. It will accumulate over time. I was raised by a cowboy, learned to rodeo as a young boy and uh, rope with my dad. And so I kind of grew up with this mindset. You get bucked off the horse, what do you do? Get back on the horse. No, you don't if you break your arm or leg or neck. That just complicates your issues. And so that's our tendency. My tendency was, yeah, you take a beating, just get back up and get back into the game. Just keep rolling. And over time, you're accumulating a lot of hits, a lot of hurts, a lot of offenses, and you haven't processed that stuff, I'm telling you, that stuff will take you down. It will take you out. And so that's why we need to deal with this. Don't go to bed angry. We need to understand this and work through this. Now, I was a first responder for a number of years with Phoenix Fire. This is what I learned uh, being on the fire department is that first responders really face regularly a concentrated dose of sin and suffering. And that's one of the reasons why they have a high degree uh, of divorce and alcohol abuse and also suicide. Had a guy in our class committed suicide, my academy class later on in life, because of the accumulation of seeing this dark, difficult, desperate world of sin and suffering, not knowing how to process that stuff. And so though they get a, maybe, a, maybe a concentrated dose, we all get a dose. Maybe it's drawn out over a lifetime, but it will still wreak havoc in our life. And so here's where we're going with the study. We need to talk about anger because this is, this is at the root. So what is anger? I think this, these, uh, this text will help us answer that. What is anger? How do we mismanage our anger? Everybody in the world mismanages their anger. Every one of us, because we're fallen by nature, we're sinners by nature and by choice, so we don't know how to navigate that. We'll talk more about that. And then how do we reorder our anger? How do we get our anger to become good anger and rechannel it appropriately? 
We mischannel our, our anger a lot, so we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's ask for God's help here in this study. Father God, we are so grateful that there is no sin or suffering in this world that is a match for your redeeming, restoring grace. Whatever the capacity there is for sin and suffering, we have a greater capacity through the gospel for healing and wholeness. And we pray that you would bring that healing and wholeness into our lives as we study your word. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. So let's talk about what is anger, first of all. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, the first part of that says, be angry and do not sin. So it's saying that you can be angry and not sin, but then you can be angry and sin. That's the idea here. And so we need to define emotions here. First of all, it's on your notes. Here's your first uh, fill in the blanks. What are emotions? Emotions reveal values, you know, the things that are important to you. So you get mad, sad, glad, scared, numb about things that are valuable to you. It's different for all of us based on our values. It also also reveals our evaluations of life. It's not the events of life that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. It's actually your evaluation of those events. Your emotions are just revealing that to you. And so emotions reveal your values, your evaluations of life, but also motivate us to action. The big five emotions are mad, sad, glad, scared, and numb. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. You just need to know that. Now let's focus on anger. Here's the definition for anger. It's on your notes. Anger is a God-given energy aroused to defend what is good and destroy whatever is bad that is threatening what is good. And so when you get angry, you need to ask yourself, what am I defending and what am I trying to destroy? What am I defending? What am I trying to destroy? What am I trying, what am I attacking or what am I against? Now, there's bad anger, good anger. We've got to look at bad anger and good anger. Bad anger is this, this is your next fill in the blank, my will be done. That's, that's bad anger. When my will is violated, I get angry. It's very selfish. It's motivated out of selfishness. Good anger, God's will be done. That would be good anger. So we want our anger to line up with God's anger is what we need to do, but oftentimes it doesn't. So God's will be done. When God's will is violated, he gets angry, but it's not selfish, it's unselfish. As you will see in a moment, we'll talk about God's anger. Now, bad anger is aroused in defense of my will, ego, pride, reputation, and agenda, and it is released typically to attack people. Good anger is aroused in defense of God's will, law, and justice, and it is released to attack not people, but problems, evil, and sins. So let me give you a couple examples here. We'll give you the first example of bad anger. It's actually found in 1 Samuel 18, 7 through 9. You can read the fuller context of the story, but this kind of gives you just a little bit of, a, of the story. This is what it says. And, and, and as I'm reading this, this is what I want you to think about. This is King Saul. And so when you start feeling angry, when you see somebody angry, you need to ask the question, what are they trying to defend? What good are they trying to defend? What bad are they trying to destroy? So as we read this story, you probably probably be able to see it almost immediately. So, and the women sang to one another 
as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. So what is he defending, and what is he trying to destroy? That should be pretty obvious here. He's, he's defending his popularity in the eyes of the people. Hey, I'm losing popularity. Rather than to get his identity from God and be okay with that, he should be happy that David's on his team. He said, hey, look what we've done together, kind of, an, kind of more of an attitude, but, but he's almost seeing him as an enemy. It's because it's an attack upon his, it's, a, it's an attack upon his popularity, and he's getting his popularity, his sense of identity from what people say about him. Remember what I said uh, in the last couple of weeks, we tend to define ourselves by I am what I, what I do, my accomplishments, I am what I have, and uh, that would be more of your possessions or the pleasures you find in life, or I am what people say about me, about popularity. And that's not where you get your identity, you get your identity completely and totally from God, that's not what he's doing, and so he's trying to, he's trying to protect his you know, his reputation, his ego, his pride, his agenda, and he's going to attack David. By the way, he goes after David and he tries to kill David because that is a threat to his identity because he's got a misplaced identity. Now, and that's bad anger, obviously. Now, here's good anger through our Savior Jesus. It's found in John chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. I'm not going to read the story because you're probably familiar with it. Jesus goes in and cleans house. Remember when he went into the temple? And so what is, he rep what is he representing through that story? Here's what he's representing. Jesus' anger is aroused to defend the appropriate use of the temple to be a place where people connect with the living God, his Father, and he's trying to destroy. They're turning it into a circus, a marketplace, promoting a form of liberalism. They had a low view of God. They were portraying a very low view of God, turning the temple into a kind of a circus environment, but also not just liberalism, but legalism. They had raised the, the amount of money it cost to be able to bring sacrifices, very legalistic. So liberalism, legalism, I did a whole message on, on that back during our John series. You can go back online and listen to that. And, and so that's what he's doing. He's trying to defend, you know, as I said, what are you trying to defend? What are you trying to destroy? He's trying to defend the, his father's house. He's going to destroy those that are that are compromising his father's house through liberalism and legalism, really important. Now, God's anger is not like ours. God's anger is not like ours. So when you think of God's, the wrath of God, a lot of people do not like that topic or the judgment of God. It's because they have a skewed understanding of God's anger. Human anger is often unpredictable, petty, selfish, and disproportionate. These things are not true of the anger of God. God's wrath is the just and measured response of his holiness toward evil. It is always an expression of his love. So his anger, his wrath is always an expression of his love to defend the good and destroy the bad. It's not selfish, it's very unselfish. And so I've got some words here, it's on your notes, just a quick study of the anger of God because I think it's important to understand this, is that God's wrath is provoked, 
Unlike his love, his love is not provoked. What I mean by that, we don't have to do anything to have his love. He naturally loves us. That's who God is. The Bible says this, God is love, but nowhere in the Bible does it say God is anger. So God's love does not have to be provoked. He naturally loves us because that's the essence of who he is. But his anger has to be provoked. Love is the essence of who he is, not anger. Therefore, the idea here that I think that the Bible wants us to understand, he's unlike the mythological Greek and Roman gods who run around frustrated and fuming and and this idea of paganism where we have to appease God's anger somehow. Well, he's not an angry, he's not an angry God. He's a loving God. He's a loving God, but his anger has to be provoked. But also we know this is that he is slow to anger. A lot of people want to look, they look at the world and they go, why is this place such a mess? Because he's slow to anger. He is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And he's using the sin and suffering. He's using the suffering to expose our sin. Oftentimes we pray, we pray to God, please relieve my suffering. And what he's wanting to do is use suffering to reveal our sin. Because our suffering won't take us to hell. It might feel like hell, but our sin will take us to hell for all eternity. And so he wants us to see our sin and that's obviously exposed to the suffering. When you see the suffering on this planet, just remember, man, God is revealing our sinfulness. That's secondary, sin and suffering, that's all secondary to our rebellion against a holy, righteous God. And so he lets this place be a bit of a mess because he's wanting us to come to him. He's revealing that to us. So he's slow to anger, and it's being revealed now, his wrath is revealed now through the consequences in sin. Think you can shake your fist at God and do your own thing? You're going to suffer the consequences of that. It says that in Romans 1. He'll turn you over to your own desires. Okay, you want, to, you want to chase after all that stuff? Go for it. And you can see the consequences all around us. And then it also says that his wrath is on sinners. John, uh, John chapter 3, verse 36. All these verses are in here. You can study these on your own. But it's actually on sinners. That would be all of us before Christ. So the wrath of God is on all of us because we're sinners by nature and by choice. But it also tells us in Romans 2.5 that he is storing up his anger. There's a day of judgment coming. But here's the last point you need to understand. But his wrath can be avoided by faith in Christ who came to bear the wrath of God on the cross. That is absolutely amazing. The gospel still to this day never ceases to amaze me. If the gospel isn't the most amazing thing you've ever heard, then you haven't heard it because he took all of our wrath that was meant for us. Jesus on the cross took the wrath of God on our behalf. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. What does that mean, perish? You, you have the wrath of God on you, but now you don't. It was placed upon Christ Jesus. We get his record. He got our record. We're saved not by our performance, but based on his performance. This is what separates Christianity from every other major religion in our world today. Every other major religion is a, is a works righteousness. You achieve it through your good works. Guess what? You can never do that. You can't achieve right standing with God by your good works. There's no way you can do that, but that's what every belief system on the planet, except for Christianity, is about. You achieve it. In Christianity, you receive it by grace through faith in Christ. It's a gift. It's a gift. 
And so, so all the wrath was placed on him. Now, there's a problem, I, and I, I face people all the time and interact with them that will say, well, I have a problem with God, the wrath of God, oh, and judgment. There's no final judgment. Let me, let me just say this. If there is no judgment, what hope is there for this world? So if there's no judgment, and eventually the sun will burn up, burn out, and all of this will be gone, what difference does it make? It doesn't matter how you live. There's no judgment. There's no final judgment, no wrath, no, none of that. There's no standards. You can make up your own standards because in the end, it doesn't matter. We're all gone from this place. I mean, you haven't thought it out to the furthest implication. If there is no judgment, what hope is there for this world? People get away with murder. That's it. If there is no judgment, if there is a judgment, what hope is there for us? Because the wrath of God is on us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What hope is there for us? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, that's my hope. Are you kidding me? When I heard that years ago, I'm in, baby. I don't want to face the wrath of God. I know I'm messed up, and I still am messed up, but he's continuing to change me and transform my life. I give my life to him. And so, in Jesus' first coming, he came to bear our judgment. God's wrath was poured out upon Christ on the cross in justice. God is a just God. In justice, God passed the required sentence of death on our sin, but in mercy, he took that punishment himself on the cross. That's his first coming, but in his second coming, so his first coming, he came to bear our judgment. In his second coming, he will bring judgment. You want to read a text that will bring chill down your back? Read Revelation chapter 1. Look who shows up there in the first chapter. Jesus, he's, he's bringing judgment. It's the book of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and how this whole thing is going to go down when he comes back with judgment upon people that refuse to come to God through him. Pretty clear, it's pretty obvious. There's no game playing here with God. He's, he's pretty open about where he is and where we need to be in our relationship with him. So in his first coming, he came to have nails driven into his hands to bear our judgment. In his second coming, he will come with a sword in his hand to bring judgment. So when you think about this, even to this day, that's overwhelming for me when I think about that and what Christ has done for me on the cross. And uh, so we are, the most, we are the most loved, forgiven, reconciled people on this planet because of what Christ has done for us, if, if indeed you have put your faith in him. Therefore, we should be the most loving, forgiving, and reconciling people in this pl on this planet. We should be leading the way with love, forgiveness, reconciliation, showing people how to do it because of what we've experienced in him. Okay, that's, that's just, that should be the bedrock of our lives, okay? So that's, with that said, now we gotta move to the next. So we just, I just talked about anger. What is anger? Important topic, but now we need to talk about how we tend to mismanage our anger. This is where we're all guilty of. How do we mismanage our anger? Look at verse 26 of our text, B. So he says, be angry, but don't sin. That's the first part. Second part, do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's just saying, you got to deal with this stuff. Don't let it stockpile. Don't let it snowball on you. 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgive us of our sins as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us regularly, 27, and do not give the, give the devil a foothold or, or give no opportunity to the devil. I, I believe this is one of the ways that we give the enemy a foothold into our lives is unforgiveness, bitterness, unresolved past hurts. And so this is how unresolved past hurts will accumulate and snowball on you by mismanagement of anger. By the way, everyone mismanages anger. I'm just gonna tell you right now, my wife has a terrible anger problem. Okay, she doesn't actually, but in the early days, both of us did, but she thought my anger problem was worse than her anger problem, okay? And I'll explain that in a moment because I tend to be the first one here. So three ways we mismanage our anger. And by the way, when I go through these things, this is what I'm asking you to do, is don't be thinking about the people in your life that have these issues. Think about yourself, where you are on this list of three. What is your natural inclination? Which one best represents you? Here's the first one is blow up. This is what I struggled with because this was the environment that I was raised in. Gunslinger, you know gunslingers? You don't need to ask them what they're thinking. They've already told you, okay? They're quick to tell you. They're going to tell you what's on their mind. They come in with guns blazing. Wait to see who's still standing after the dust settles. That's a, that's a gunslinger. So blow up, fight, gunslinger. They express its open aggression. And, and they get it off their chest, but everybody else is wrecked after they got it off their chest, Okay. That's just the way it works. They destroy relationships overtly. These are people that are argumentative, blunt, critical, defensive, emotional, forceful. They will shoot you in the front, okay? They'll square off with you and pull their gun on you and shoot you down. I had no issues with that early on in my marriage relationship. Oh, you want to square off with me? I'll step into you. Come on. Is that the best you got? I was lovely to live with. And you know, it was interesting, my wife was very clear. She was really sweet about it, but she goes, don't raise your voice at me. I said, I'm, I haven't raised my voice yet. You wanna hear my, me raising my voice? Just uh, give me a minute and I'll show you. This is how my family interacted with each other. I don't care how your family used to interact with each other. That's not how my family interacted with each other. You are yelling, I am not yelling. Back and forth, I had to work on that. I had to realize that, wait a minute, maybe that is yelling to her. And because she was more of this next one, clam up. I was more of the blow-up, she was more the clam-up. I'm glad that she wasn't a blow-up like me, we would have never survived. But she was more clam-up. This is the flight. This is Eskimo, I'm gonna freeze him out. Maybe he'll go away, maybe he'll die. (laughs) I mean, really, seriously, she she, she thought I had a worse problem. She wanted me to just like go away, leave me alone, I don't wanna have anything to do with it. When I came home a few times and all all the locks on the door were changed. And all my clothes were out on the front lawn. That only happened three times. No, it never actually happened, but that was basically her attitude. Leave me alone, don't touch me, stay away from me. You can sleep on the couch for the next 20 years. Now, she didn't quite say that, but I certainly got that. That's that clam up, fight, Eskimo, repress, closed aggression. Uh, They destroy relationships covertly. They tend to be cold, obstinate, silent treatment, sulk, pout, they're triangulators. They don't confront you. They'll go to a third party and and bring that third party into it. You can't believe what they said to me. Come over. Be on my team. We need to both double up and pound on them. 
That's what triangulation is. You draw somebody else that has nothing to do with what's going on. Rather than for you to go and talk to them, you go and talk to somebody else about it. And so the blow up here, they'll, they'll shoot you in the front. The clam up will shoot you in the back. So I learned to sleep with one eye open. She just had no idea what she was up to. She was very secret about it. But I wasn't going to get away with anything. <laughs> it was interesting as we were kind of working through these in the early years of our marriage relationship. I mean, we nearly crashed and burned about seven years in. Thank God. Thank God for his grace. He rescued us. I'm telling you, if, if it wasn't for him rescuing us, helping us to kind of navigate this, this is a lot of the stuff that we had to work through. I mean, I was mismanaging my anger. I came from a home of gunslingers. She came from more that they just all clammed up. Here's the third one is give up. This is the, the fawn. It's, uh, fawn means to, it's exaggerated flattery. You just kiss up, suck up, walk around on eggshells, don't want to make waves. This is the chameleon, they suppress. This is hidden aggression. Here's what's interesting about give up is you destroy yourselves and eventually others because you're a walking time bomb. That energy has to go somewhere and you shove that down inside of you, man, it's gonna go somewhere. It's gonna tear you up or eventually you're gonna lash out. So anger turned inward leads to depression and even maybe suicide. So okay, let's do a quick survey, let's be honest. Come on now, I'm gonna go through each one of these and you identify which one best represents you by show of hands. How many would fit into the category more of blow up? Show of hands, show of hands, blow up, blow up. Okay, okay, thank you very much. Thank you, okay, just wanna make sure who I need to avoid here. I'm kidding you, I'm just like you, okay? We'll, we'll stir it up a little bit. How many would say you're more of a clam up? Show of hands, show of hands. Okay, okay, I like it. And what's interesting is if you got a couple and they both said blow up, I know that we got some marriage counseling gonna happen real soon, okay? We're gonna have to talk about this because it's, it, there's, that's when it gets crazy. So clam up, how many would say you're more give up? Give up, give up, give up. How many would say that you're a combination of all three just depending on the day? Okay, you guys are schizophrenic. Actually, that's what I did for years is that I said, oh, I can't blow up anymore, so I began to clam up. And then at times I even gave up, uh, and I was still mismanaging my anger. Everybody mismanages their anger. So I'd go back and forth between this. This is not how you deal with your anger. You don't blow up, clam up, or give up. All of these not only destroy you relationally, but also physically and emotionally. These are defense mechanisms developed early in life and reinforced through practice. You gotta look at your upbringing and the kind of environment you had and how they dealt with conflict, conflict resolution. You learned some traits there, either good or bad, and so they become these neural pathways in our brain that become second nature. Don't get down on yourself. It's gonna be knee-jerk how you respond to the difficulties of life, to the sin and suffering of life. So don't get down on yourself because you keep blowing it. Just become aware. There needs to be this mindfulness. It's this, it's this emotional intelligence to be aware of what am I thinking? Why am I thinking these crazy thoughts? Why am I, why am I so angry? What's going on? Start, you gotta start talking yourself off the ledge, so to speak. You gotta start thinking. What's going on here? And we're gonna, I'm going to help you with that process here. That's what this study is about. And so that is why it is important to be mindful of our patterns of thinking and feeling in response to the events 
or the people, things, and circumstances of our life. Now, here's one of the ways, and I think it's in the text, helps us to see this is what we need to be aware of. Here's your next fill in the blank. Our words are a window into our heart. I started becoming more aware of the words that I was speaking, especially behind closed doors, especially if you're trashing people behind their back, if you're saying things, you leave a place, you go, oh, those people are idiots, oh, that guy's a jerk, or, you know, this kind of stuff. It's revealing something about your heart in fact, this was a, a verse that I memorized years ago. It was really, really helpful for me as Nancy and I are navigating this stuff, and I'm working through this in my own life. She's working it through her life. It says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their need, so that it might benefit those that hear. The word unwholesome is an interesting word. How many have ever left food in the refrigerator way too long, and it actually started stinking? and you pulled it out and ate it anyway. Anybody do that? That's gross. A couple of firefighters, uh, I remember when I was on a fire department, B-shifters primarily, but uh, anybody would know that joke there, but, uh, but they, would, they would eat it anyway. But no, it's just, it's, it's, the word is putrid. It's spoiled. And that's the word for unwholesome. It says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their need. So I started listening to what I was saying, and I realized, oh my goodness, I've got, I got some work to do on my heart. And this is what I love about Christianity. It's not behavioral modification, it's heart transformation. I began to pray, Lord, change my heart. I need a heart change. I don't know what's going on, but man, I'm desperate for you. Remember, remember, this isn't a technique to be mastered. This is a person to encounter, engage, and then to enjoy and to have him walk with you through, through this stuff. It tells us in, um, it actually says in Proverbs 12, 18, it's not one of your verses, but it, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So, so I'm, with my words, am I bringing wisdom? Am I, am I a voice of wisdom and encouragement and love and support? Am I, am I divisive? Am I, am I defiant? What am, what am I bringing to the party here? What's going on here? Luke 6, 45, it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a window into my heart. So I've got to be aware of that. So just think about this. People with harsh words have an angry heart. People with negative words have a fearful heart. People with overactive words, you ever get around anybody that talks too much, overactive words, they have an unsettled heart. You can't get a word in edgewise. They're trying to control the situation, circumstances, and they're trying to control you and what you, what you say about them. An unsettled heart, overactive words have an unsettled heart. Boasting words have an insecure heart. Filthy words have an impure heart. Critical words have a bitter heart. Now, here's what Jesus said about our words. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, it said, don't murder anyone. But I'm telling you, if you have hatefulness and bitterness in your words toward people, that's the seeds of murder in your heart. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Now, Hebrews 12, 15 has been a really significant verse for me also as it relates to this idea of working through the hurts. Hebrews 12, 15, it says, see to it that no one fails uh, to obtain the grace of God that a bitter root grows up, causes trouble, and defiles many. 
So he's just saying, if bitterness takes hold in your life, it grows up, causes trouble to your life, it's like a cancer that eats away at your soul, it's because you've missed the grace of God. You're not living in the reality of the grace of God, and so it's a cancer, it causes trouble, and it's gonna cause trouble in your own life. It'll grow up, it grows, so over time, if I don't deal with this junk, I don't deal with this, it grows. It grows in our life. I don't know how many older people I've seen over time because they didn't deal with their junk early on. They become bitter. They're toxic. They're more angry than when you first met them. That's what he's saying. Don't, let, don't miss out on the grace of God and let a bitter root grow up, grow up in your life, cause trouble. It's going to poison you, and you're going to defile everybody that you're that's in your life. I mean, there's people I know currently, I don't wanna be around them. They are toxic people. They're horrible people. They have so much garbage in their life that they haven't dealt with in the past. So those of you that are young, start dealing with your junk now. Start dealing with it. Don't wait. Don't wait, that's what he's saying here. It'll defile many. And here's your next fill in the blank. You don't hold grudges. This is what bitterness is. You don't hold grudges. They hold you like a bow constrictor that chokes the life out of you. It will take you down. Now, we need to talk a little bit about bitterness. Bitterness keeps you under the control of your offender. So someone has hurt you bad. I'm not minimizing what devastation you have experienced at the hands of your perpetrator. I got it. I'm telling you, I've had people say some horribly hurtful, hateful things to me. It cut me to the heart. I was sick to my stomach. I had sleepless nights over what people have said about me. Welcome to ministry. Welcome to life. I felt like someone stabbed me in the heart with some of the words that have been spoken to me. And yet at the same time, I knew I had to work through that. I can't carry that in my life. And if I do, my perpetrator still has control over me. Your offender wins as long as you stay bitter toward them. They win. Bitterness is to continually will or hope for somebody else's harm or distress. It's kind of the opposite of, of Romans 12.15. Romans 12.15 says how, how we should relate to one another. It says, says, grieve with those that grieve, rejoice with those that re- rejoice. So bitterness would be the flip, you know, you flip that, turn that over, and it's actually you grieve when others rejoice and you rejoice when others grieve. You go, yeah, they got theirs. That's bitterness. That's bitterness. Man, you do not want that to take hold of your life. Now, this is what's fascinating about God. This is why I'm so overwhelmed by our amazing Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our God. God is angry but never bitter. He never wishes anyone ill will. God hates the idea of anyone perishing. I put the verses there. You can study these on your own. Ezekiel 18, 23 in 32 and then 33, 11, God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God's not up there saying, oh, I got them. That'll teach them. That's not God. That's not his heart. That's not the heart of God, regardless of what people might think. 
He loves us so much. He sacrificed his son on the cross for you. We serve a man who died for his enemies. Oh, my goodness. That is, and we were his enemy, and we've been made his friend, his family. Not based on our performance, once again, it's based on the performance of Jesus. Not based on our record, based on Jesus' record. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So I want to live out of the abundance of that. I want to live in the reality of that daily. So the difference between anger and bitterness, anger says this is wrong, this is an evil, this must stop. But bitterness moves over to the place where you actively want to see your offender or perpetrator hurt, brought down, or have bad things happen to them. That's bitterness. So good anger is aggressive toward problems, not people. And I, hey, man, I got it. It's a hard distinction to make. As I'm telling you, I know some people that are flat out wicked, and they are evil. And so, you know, you just, you got to walk the line. But, I, but, the, but the Bible does teach us that we can have a capacity of love for people so much from God that we can even love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's amazing love. So how do we do that? How do we reorder our anger? How do we rechannel, make sure that we've got good anger here? Now, I love the book of Psalms, biggest chapter, biggest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, and every emotion and every circumstance of life was dealt with in the book of Psalms. And you see the psalmist bringing their emotions and their negative thoughts to God and allowing him to reorder those negative thoughts and emotions. Emotions, feelings are fickle and dangerously misleading. Our emotions are responders. They're to be responders, not initiators. Listen to me, listen to me. Our crazy society says to people, follow your heart, be true to yourself, follow your emotions. That's insane. That's why this culture is so jacked up. Everybody's feeling their, or following their feelings. That is suicidal. Don't follow your heart, follow God's word. And make sure your feelings and, and emotions are lining up with his word. His word is truth, it's reality. No telling what you're chasing. It isn't God if you're following your feelings. Okay, I had to go off on that a little bit, okay? Because it's insane. You see it in all the movies. You see it on TV shows. Everybody's just following their feelings. Yeah, I and mean, that's why we're in the mess we're in. And so, it's just, it, it, you can't do that. Okay, you got that. Okay. Our emotions are responders, never initiators. We don't feel our way into our beliefs. We believe our way into our feelings. Our feelings are to follow our faith. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I still put my faith in Jesus based on the fact of his word. You got it? So I go back to his word. This is reality. I don't care what you're experiencing, what's going on in your life. Here's reality, God's word. Lord, let my feelings, my thoughts realign with your word. Okay, so that's what we're doing right here. This is what you got to do. So this is what I want you to do. I got eight, I got eight steps here that we're going to work through on this. 
But I got to read some text and then we'll kind of walk through this a little bit more. I still got a little bit more to go here before we take a look at this. But eight questions taking uh, your, your anger apart. And I would encourage you to take this with you. Next time you're irritated is to walk through these eight steps. But before we do that, let me read the text. Look at verse 30 to 32. And he says, so this is all part of the text. Remember, he just said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. We talked about that. Be angry, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. Uh, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, revealing what's going on. Now, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So you've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He will lead you. He will guide you. Be sensitive to his voice. Don't grieve him by refusing to listen to him. And so he goes on, he says, by whom, so, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he says this, so if the Holy Spirit's leading me, this is what I'll be able to do. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger. So wrath and anger would be passive aggression and clamor and slander, that's open aggression, be put away from you along with malice. So bitterness and malice, that's kind of the, that's the front end and the tail end of it. That's, uh, that's hidden aggression. So he's actually dealing with all forms of aggression right here. Open, closed, hidden aggression. It's all right here in this text. So he's let all of this be put away from you. Here's what you are gonna exchange it with. But be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Do you hear the basis of that? You do that out of what you've experienced in Christ. This is, this is Matthew 6, 12 lived out. Matthew 6, 12, yeah, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. So an unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. Unforgiving heart is an unforgiven heart. If you can't forgive, you haven't experienced God's forgiveness of you. And, it, and there could be a couple different reasons. You think you're, you're, you're so good you don't need God's grace or you're so bad that you can't receive God's grace. Neither one of those are true. The first one's pride, the other one's fear. So you are never so good with pride that you don't need God's grace. You're never so bad with fear that you can't receive God's grace. Proud people don't realize how sinful they are. That's why I can hold a grudge against you because what you did, I would never do. Well, actually, you probably would. You have those seeds in your heart. Maybe you haven't acted out on that, but you don't realize how much he's forgiven you because what you're gonna have to forgive others is nothing compared to what he's already forgiven you. You're just out of touch with that reality because of pride. So proud people don't realize how sinful they are. Listen, you were so sinful, Jesus had to die. There was no other way you'd be reconciled to the Father. You were so sinful, Jesus had to die. You were going to hell. You had the wrath of God upon you. When you understand that, then your heart is filled with his forgiveness, then you're able to offer it to others. Fearful people don't realize how loved they are. You are so loved, Jesus wanted to die for you. He's got you covered. He's got you taken care of. It's important to have both of those. Eight questions, taking your anger apart. This is from David Pallison, good and angry, redeeming anger, irritation, complaining, and bitterness. I read this while I was on vacation. It was a great book. And this is from his book. I'm kind of expounding on it and giving you a little bit of my understanding of it and my personal application. So the first four questions explore the problem. The next four questions bring hope and move toward healing and wholeness. Here's the first one. What situations trigger irritability? That's your first fill in the blank. Triggers are anything that sparks an intense emotion reaction regardless of your current mood. 
So meeting your boss, talking to friends about politics, your spouse's overspending, traffic jams, and dumb drivers, that's giving revelation of something bedrock down deep in your heart. Don't ignore that. That's telling you something about your life. Those are triggers. Knowing what your mental and emotional triggers are and how to deal with them is a key component to mental and emotional health. Be aware of those things that trigger. It's not the trigger's fault. Not those things that happen to you that make you feel the way you do. It's what you're saying to yourself. It's how you're responding. It's you. Don't blame shift. Don't blame shift. We typically do that. How do I react? What thoughts, feelings, and actions show your anger? Overwhelming negative thoughts and feelings are revealing distinct parts of your soul that need care and lies that you are believing about God, yourself, and others that need to be confronted. So is your instinct, think about your instinct, is your instinct fight, flight, or fawn? All three of those are wrong. So how do I react? Number three, what are my motives? What good are you trying to defend? What bad are you trying to destroy? Now, my wife and I just finished up one of the best vacations we've had in years, but my vacation started off with my dryer breaking down. So we've got our dryer and our washing machine in our garage. It's like 200 degrees in that garage, okay? I'm probably exaggerating a bit, but it is pretty hot in there, okay? Because we don't have air conditioning in the garage, nothing in the garage. I had fixed my dryer uh, in January and it had a healing, heating element, but my wife says, still not drying right. So I spent like two to three hours thinking maybe there's a lot of lint in the you know, the exhaust and cleaning that out and busting my tail and working on that. And, and she came back and said, mm, still not drying. And then I said, oh, maybe it's that heating element went out. So I pulled it back off, heating element was down. Took it back, the guy said, oh, it's still under warranty. Oh, praise God. I get it, put it back in. It's working for just a short time and now the thing does not even turn on. She hit the button, it just doesn't turn on. The switch is gone. Oh, no problem, no, no problem. I take the switch out, take it down. It takes all day to get it, I get it back. It's $75, I put it in. It still doesn't work. I was a little irritated. I'm on vacation. And this is a threat to my two big idols, time and money. And, and the Lord started, the reason, one of the reasons why this was such a great vacation is the Lord, right from the get-go, started working on my heart. And I, and I had to start asking, is this, is this uh, my will be done, or is this God's will be done? That's my will. Of course. Time and money means a lot. I'm going to manage it. It's like, hey, dude, put your trust in me. So I had to kind of work through that. That's, that's all part of that. That was part of what I had to work through in my own heart. It was, I thank God for it, actually. Oh, by the way, the dryer, we cut our losses and we bought a new one. Yeah, it's like, what the heck? I'm not going out in that garage again. <laughs> and not like that. There's like a whole lot of components on there. I started counting all the components. I go, this could cost me, I could buy a new dryer for that. Okay, so anyway, that was kind of that, and that's so minor, and yet those kind of things can irritate, and what it does is it reveals kind of a bedrock of, anger you got going on there. It's like, who are you trusting here? Get over it, dude, your time and money. Is that more important than my glory? Well, quite frankly, yes, it is right now. <laughs> I know I messed up. 
And so I had to work through that. It was really helpful for me. So, so here's the idea here, is that when you begin to experience inordinate emotions, you feel crushed, driven to despair, forsaken, destroyed. You must ask yourself, what am I losing right now that has become my life more than Christ? What has, what has become more important to me right now more than Christ? become my life more than Christ. It is having this negative effect on my life creating brokenness because it, has, it is becoming my meaning, my hope, and my happiness. You know, I'm on vacation. I gotta have all my ducks in a row. I gotta have all these things work out just perfect for me. No, you don't. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you can be content regardless of the circumstances because you always have what you most want. That's Him, regardless of what goes down. That's what's amazing about the Christian faith. That's why we can navigate really difficult circumstances and people and all that because we have Him. We just don't realize what we have in Him. I kind of lost track of that for a, for a few moments, working on my dryer in the garage, 200 degrees out there. And my wife's saying, hey, this thing isn't drying anything. Okay, got it. So what are my motives? Am I trying to get from creation what I should be getting from the creator? How does this reveal my unbelief, pride, idolatry? Here's the fourth one. What are the consequences? If I fight, flight, or fawn, it will destroy me physically, emotionally, relationally. It imprisons me with bitterness. It contradicts Christ's behavior towards me. I'm playing for the wrong team. What wrong team? John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That team. You don't want to be on that team, okay? You're contributing to that team when you respond to anger inappropriately. You're part of what he's up to. Kill, steal, and destroy. I don't want to be on that team. I want to be on the team that says, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That's, I want to bring that to people. And so what are the consequences? I've got to be aware of those consequences. Now, my wife sent me this uh, quote. I, I just found it really a, a great quote. Avoiding your triggers isn't healing. Healing happens when you're triggered and you're able to move through the pain, the pattern, the story, and walk your way to a different ending. Listen to me. Before we finish up, we've got, we've got four more, and this is, this is where our hope is. Sin and suffering isn't the narrative of your story, no matter what you've been through. That is not the narrative of your story. I refuse. I refuse to let sin and suffering be the narrative of my story, regardless of what I've gone through. Healing, health, and wholeness is the narrative of my story because the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, no doubt about it. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. That's the narrative of my story. That's the narrative I want for your story also. Do you hear that? So you gotta make some decisions. You gotta say, wait a minute, I gotta respond differently here. God, you wanna bring healing to my life. You're showing me what's going on in my heart. I know you, you wanna offer hope and healing and health for me. Lord, help me to follow your ways. Here we go. What is true? What is true? You gotta confront yourself with what is true. Gospel logic, if he didn't spare his own son, taking care of our worst problem, being eternally separated from him, having the wrath of God upon us, he's not gonna spare anything else and taking care of us. I don't care how dark, deep, difficult your situation is. He's got you. He's got you covered. He's going to take care of you. Romans 8, 31 and 32. And and Psalm 23, 1, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. You can find contentment in him regardless of whatever's going on. How do I turn to God for help? This is where it's hard. This is what's difficult. We'll talk more about this next week. But how do you keep your tank full? Sin is what we do when we are not satisfied with Christ. Go back next 
to last week's message and walk through the process. At the very end of the message, I talked about that. Recognize that my most uncontrollable emotions come from looking to something or someone to give me only what Christ can give me. Replace the worship of your idols with the worship of Christ. Rejoice in Christ until your heart is resting and releasing its grip on anything else it thinks it can't live without. Those are all three on the message from last weekend. You can go on YouTube channel or our website. To the degree that Christ becomes more beautiful to your imagination and more desirable to your heart than anything else in life is to the degree you will become whole in his broken world. It's in the beholding of his glory we become whole, 2 Corinthians 3.18. How could I respond constructively to this situation? Listen, it's never loving to let someone sin against you. You don't take a beating from anybody. Do not become like the evil that is being done to you. Overcome evil with good. Speak the truth in love. Love forgives the most but enables the least. By the way, I'd like to talk more about forgiveness. I can't. There's so many nuances to it, but you've got to go online and listen to a message on wholeness in a broken world. I deal with that whole topic about a year and a half ago. It's online. It's on our website. It's on our YouTube channel. It's called Forgiveness. We also have a five-minute DB clip that you can listen to. And I walk through the specifics of what forgiveness is, what it isn't. But it, this is what it comes down to. If you want healing, you've got to learn to receive his forgiveness of you so that you can offer it to others. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. To the degree you do that is to the degree you're going to find healing for your heart. Here's the last one. What are the consequences of faith and obedience? I'm telling you what they are. Fullness of joy in Christ. Fullness of life in Christ. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, regardless of the people, things, and circumstances you face. That's what he has for us. Next weekend, we're going to talk about live a productive life, John chapter 15. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders and leaders. And if you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, if if you're struggling with bitterness, unforgiveness, man, you've been devastated in a relationship and you're still trying to work through that, you need some help, we will anoint you with oil this morning and pray for you. God can bring some freedom to your life this morning. When you come forward and pray, if you have any kind of sickness or anything going on in your life, we'd love to pray for you. If you have any questions about this message, we'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. So, Father God, we are all too aware of the fact that we live in a very broken world filled with sin and suffering. None of us are exempt. John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place for our sins so that when we acknowledge our sin, put our faith in him, we can experience a fullness of life in him. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Teach us how to do that, God. Set us free from all bitterness over past hurts. May we take these truths that we have learned today and apply them to our lives, changing the narrative of our life from brokenness and bitterness to healing, health, and wholeness for your glory and our joy in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I love you guys.